Test, test, ooh. It, it's loud and it works. Can you guys see the screen all right? All right, great. So today we're going to be talking about prayer. This is week two and our final week of prayer. We're going to be talking in 1 Timothy 2. Um, and we're going to be going through 1 Timothy, maybe a little bit through Daniel, and just kind of throughout the Bible. So we're going to start off. 1 Timothy 2. It starts out saying, I urge then... First of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So we just started Thanksgiving. We just kind of getting into the Thanksgiving feeling, the Thanksgiving theme. And so we often talk about this trend of what are you thankful for? I personally am thankful for you guys. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for TJ. I'm thankful for the worship. And, and I really appreciate all you guys. So that's what I'm thankful for. And so we give prayers of thankfulness. And we also have prayers of petitions. This is, this is the type of prayer where we ask God, saying, hey, God, I could use some wisdom right now. I could use some strength. I could use some understanding. I could use some money because I'm struggling financially and I'm struggling with these things. So 1 Timothy 2.1 talks about these kind of types of prayers. So we have petition, thanksgiving, and then we have prayers. That's kind of like the general prayer, because 1 Timothy is written to Timothy, despite popular belief. So it's written by Paul to Timothy to the church in Ephesus. Everybody say Ephesus. So it's written to Timothy in the church of Ephesus. And so there's laying out all the things that Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, needs to kind of work on, and they need to work on public prayers. They need to work on congregational prayers. We pray right after worship. We pray kind of at the end of the sermon. We pray all the time. I think throughout the average youth group night, we give three, maybe four prayers throughout the night. And so, he's, there, he's kind of saying, hey, you guys need to pray more in your congregation. You need to pray more on stage. You need to pray more as a people. And he's also saying it's a prayer of intercession. Now, this is one I often do when I go to Costco and buy some pizza. I said, God, bless this food. There's no way Costco pizza is going, to bless, is going to be blessed to my body, but God, with his power, can maybe do it every once in a while. And I'm not dead yet, and I've had an excessive amount of Costco pizza yet. So, you know, things are looking good. Um, it says, before I skip ahead, pray for all people. So you're praying these four different types of prayers, prayers of intercession, petition, thankfulness, and prayers to all people. You're praying for all people. So I, I specifically pray for certain people, but I also pray for just the unbelievers, and I pray for certain people. And there's, you pray for your enemies, and you pray for your friends. There's no one to be left out of prayer. It says a bit more specifically in 1 Timothy 2, 2, that we should pray for kings and those in authority. You guys know there's a lot of people who have power in the Old Testament who really abuse their power and really go down this, this bad road. One of these people is Saul. Saul, you know, he had power, and he didn't even want to become king because he knows that power corrupts. And Saul ends up getting corrupted by the fact that he is given this power. And over time, power corrupts him. So he's saying, pray for the kings, pray for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite theologians, really, really good guy, he said that no man can do me a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. And I think that is absolutely true. If you have someone that's struggling, 
just pray for them. And don't be one of those people, I was talking with Derek about this, don't be one of those people that just says, hey, I'll pray for you. That's like if I, if I said, oh, Zeke, you're struggling with this, and I said, Zeke, don't worry, I'm going to pray for you. And then I don't actually do it. That's not nice. One, I just lied to him. And two, I'm not praying for him. That's just not good. So pray for him. And if you need to, I love it when people do this. If, someone's, if I say, hey, can you pray for me? And someone just prays for me on the spot. Derek did this exact same thing today. And I just love it when people just walk up to me and just say, hey, I'll pray for you, but I don't want to be one of those guys that says I'm going to do it later. I'll do it right now. So pray for people and don't just say you're going to pray for them. Actually make it um, a priority in your life to pray for people. We're going to talk in Daniel 6. Daniel 6 is a great, really great story of prayer in a lot of ways. One, it emphasizes how we should pray and be willing to pray in public, but also be willing to or see the power in the prayer that we see and be willing with the consequences. We're not supposed to just go to school and, be, and feel the fact that we're in school and not pray because we're, other people are watching us. So a little preface before I get into this. In Daniel 6, we see King Darius, who is a king ruling, and he has some kind of helpers around him, and Daniel is one of those helpers. And Daniel says, hey, I am praying for you. I'm sorry, I messed up. I usually don't do that. So Daniel is honest to the Lord. He's honest to God. He's honest to his friends. He's a good and righteous person. He's blameless. And so he is, he is good. And his, his co-workers see that Daniel is a righteous man. And the king sees that Daniel is a righteous man. And so the king plans to give Daniel some power over the whole kingdom. And Daniel's co-workers see this, and they say they don't want to see that. And so they're trying to find some fault in him. They're trying to trying to set him up and, and get him to do something bad, and then they can say, hey, king, he's not fit for, for you. He's a bad person. And so after watching him, after just constantly looking at him and, and writing on notes about him, he's like, man, can't find anything wrong about this guy. But they know that Daniel is someone who loves God, who serves God. And so his friends, or his coworkers, set up this plot they all get together, and they advise King Darius, saying, hey, we, we think it would be really cool. We all, all come together, and we think that it would be really awesome if we made, like, a 30-day rule that you can't take back where everybody just has to pray for you. They only pray for you and to you. And so they're doing this, and the king says, all right, I think that's a great idea. And they say it, and they put a seal on it. And so not even the king can go against this. If he, if he says, oh, I actually don't think this is a good idea, I'm not going to do it, he can't undo it. It cannot be undone. And so Daniel hears this. He says in Daniel 6, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. These windows are wide open. And Daniel is unafraid. Now, it's important that the windows are open and that everybody can see him. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. We're not called to go to our school 
and not pray at our school because people are around are watching us. If anything, we're called more to do that because people will see that we are praying and they will question, hey, why are you praying? And we have to be okay with persecution because persecution brings education for people who don't know about the gospel. If, if, if someone says, hey, why are you praying? You can say, well, take a seat. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about all these things that I believe in. Continues, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So after this, Daniel is per persecuted. His friends or his coworkers go to the king and they say, hey, Daniel, he's not listening to this rule that you made, that you sealed. We, we have to do something about this, right? Like you're going to hold, your, hold yourself to this word, right? And Darius, he, he loves Daniel. He's a great friend of his, a great advisor of his, and he was planning to give him power because he loved Daniel so much. And so he hears this and he tries everything that he can possibly do to stop this. But he doesn't have the power because he sealed it and not even he can break that seal. And so he is forced to put Daniel in a den of lions. And these aren't just any ordinary lions. These are lions that are hungry, that are starving. They're not fed. They're usually just fed people. And they, pro they likely haven't eaten someone in a long time. And now they're hungry. And so they're thrown into this den of lions. And the king says, let you pray to your God. And we'll see what happens. And the king, over the course of a night, it's 24 hours that he has to be in there. Over the course of the night, he can't fall asleep. He's not entertained by anybody. No one's, no one's sent to entertain him. Nothing. He's just, he's just thinking about Daniel this whole time. And he's feeling guilty because he just committed his friend to die in a den of lions. And he, wake, and he gets up in the morning right when the sun breaks. And he runs over to the den. And he yells, Daniel, are you still alive? And I imagine that if this, if this was a Hollywood movie, that Daniel wouldn't say anything, and you'd be like really suspectful, kind of like how Iron Man was just laying on the ground. Like, you know he's alive, but you just, it's going to be some suspense before he says anything. And then he finally says, yes, I'm alive. My God has spared me. And, he, and he's happy, and he's, and he's rejoicing, and they're rejoicing together. And Daniel says, I have been spared because my God has found me to be innocent. And so the king hears this, and he gets the people that put Daniel in that den, he throws them in the den. And right away, it says before they even touched the ground that they were overpowered by the lions. It's wild. God clearly spared Daniel from these lions. And then Darius says, we will worship Daniel's God, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. The kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and miracles in heaven and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. God performs miracles through prayer. And God spares those who he loves. This is my family. You can tell I'm, I, I am always goofy. I, that's why I got a job doing goofy things, walking around. I get, a, I get to act like a 10-year-old for a living. It's pretty awesome. And then this is, my, this is my brother Micah. He's awesome. He can do backflips and stuff. He's super cool. Silas loves him very dearly. Uh, that's my brother Jacob. He's also awesome. He has a mullet, and he, uh, 
he got a perm with his mullet, so you know, that's the type of guy he is. That's Austin, he's a legend, love him dearly. And that's my mom, Carla, and that's my dad, Steve. Look at that beard. You know for a fact that man is awesome just by his beard. You're walking around a store and you take a couple seconds to admire his beard. And so the other day he was at this church and we were doing an event and my, all my coworkers, my staff, got to see him with his beautiful, glorious beard. <sighs> so much pride came into my heart. It was awesome. So, but I'm going to be talking about Micah. So I love, I love Micah. He's, he's the one right above me in, in age. So it's youngest, oldest. I have four older brothers. One is not here, Drew. So it's me, Micah, Jacob, Austin, and then Drew. So I have four older brothers. It was a really rough household. I got bruised a lot. But I'll be talking about Micah. That is Micah when he is 14 years old. He, uh, he really loves riding dirt bikes. Him and my brother Jacob, the one with the mullet and perm, he, uh, they go out on dirt biking trips all the time, and they love just ripping around in the, in the dunes, in the sand dunes, or in the mountains, doing all sorts of stuff. But this one time, this was a couple months after that, um, my brother and my, my, two of my brothers, a lot of my friends, they went out on a trip. And what they did is they went out going mountain biking or going dirt biking in the mountains or in the dunes. I honestly forget. I didn't go with them. Um, I'm very similar to my brothers in a lot of ways. That was not one of them. Um, I just like computers and sports and stuff. So dirt bikes were never my strong suit. Um, jet skis were. And so I never went with them. And I was just, you know, I always got worried on these trips. I'd say, God, bring them home safely. I prayed, I prayed for them often. God, bring them home safely. Let them, let them be safe as they come back here. And God kind of answered that prayer. Um, Micah gets home. Jacob gets home. All the friends get home. And uh, I go out. It's, real, it's like 11 o'clock at midnight this time, almost midnight. And uh, so they get home. I go out there. I say how much I love them. I'm glad they're, glad they're safe. Go back inside because I'm tired and I'm about to go to sleep. And while I'm laying there, I'm just, just about to hit the brink of sleep, and I hear a scream. And when you're around brothers, you know your brother's screams. And you know what they sound like, you know the differences between them. I knew this was Micah screaming. And this wasn't a scream for, hey, stop that. It was a scream for help. It was a scream because he was scared, because he was worried about something. And so I hear my, my parents burst through their door, their bedroom door. And I, I was 13 years at this moment. And I said, Mom, what, what do I do? What, what do you want me to do? And she says, Gabe, just pray. And I remember all I did there for the next couple minutes is I just said, God, protect Micah. Be with Micah. Save Micah. Be with Micah. Lord God, be with Micah. And I just kept praying that prayer. I just prayed that prayer over and over and over again. And I remember what happened is there was two vehicles. And what happened was one, one rolled a little bit and had crushed Micah in between these two vehicles. And the body can't really take that much crushing force between. And so Micah, he gets out between these two vehicles and he's, he's hurting, he's crying. And we take him to the ER and the doctors say, hey, this is, this is not looking good. This is a serious injury. We need to get him to a different hospital right now. And so they take him to a different hospital and they say, wow, this is, this is not looking good. After multiple surgeries, multiple weeks of recovery, Micah does come out of the hospital. He, he, do, he does make it by the grace of God. And I am so thankful because 
now every, every day <laughs> up until that, up until four months ago, and the exception of when I was at college for a whole year, I had been in a room with Micah every single day for my entire life. And he just moved into a camper. He's still on the property, but I love Micah so dearly, and so it's just weird to think, what would, what would life be without him? But I know that God spared him. Not only did God spare him, if you know Micah, you know Micah is a strong guy. This, this photo is taken six weeks after Micah came out of the hospital, after multiple surgeries. Six weeks. This is Micah a couple, couple years ago. And this is not him in even close to peak form. He can do, he can do like backflips and stuff now. He's a legend. He's the kind of guy that you would see doing stuff, and you'd be like, oh, that guy has been an athlete for all his life. Micah never played sports. He just rode dirt bikes. And then, I don't know, God just blessed him. God did not bless me. God blessed me with a Bob t-shirt. That's what God blessed me with. So God blessed Micah with some pretty awesome genes of just strength and awesomeness. And uh, I was talking with him. He's, he's shredded. If you guys have seen Zac Efron, okay, he is shredded. Michael works out once a week, and he is shredded like Zac Efron. Doesn't that make you mad? It makes me mad. Anywho, <laughs> so I love Micah. I love Micah dearly. But I think of that moment as a Philippians 121 moment. A while ago, I talked about this. Philippians 121 says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ because if you are lit with Christ, that is better. There is no greater joy than being with your maker. But to die, but to live is Christ. Sorry, to die is gain. There's no greater joy than to be with your maker. But to live is Christ. To live is to pursue kingdom. It's better for him to be alive for the sake of the kingdom. And this is evident in Micah's actions in serving the Lord. This is a picture from Micah. And Jacob, my other brother, who had the, uh, the curly hair perm and the mullet. And uh, this is them. I think they're in either Vietnam or Laos. And a while ago, in 2020, right before COVID hit, they had gone to Vietnam. And they had smuggled Bibles and given Bibles to people who had never heard the gospel before. In a country where it was illegal to talk about God, illegal to hand Bibles out and do all these things. And they had smuggled Bibles into countries and told people about the gospel. That time when Micah got hit with the crush between those two trucks was not the last time I prayed for Micah. I prayed for Micah often, but this is a time where I, I also prayed for Micah pretty heavily. Um, Micah and Jacob were arrested while in a foreign country for preaching the gospel, for, t for giving people Bible, Bible tracts that were translated into their language, for telling people about God. And luckily, God spared them, and now, now, now they're back here. But their, their calling isn't done yet, and they know it. So they, got, they got sent back, but they want to go back there to spread the good news of the gospel because they don't care what other people think. They don't care about being in the middle of school and praying or reading their Bible. They're the type, type of people that if someone said, hey, you know, if you believe in God, you're a terrible person, they would walk up to that person and pull out the Bible right now and talk with them. They're good people, and they, and they love the Lord. And so they're going back there, and so I'm praying for them. And if it's okay with you guys, I would ask you guys to pray for them. But, as I said earlier, don't say you're going to pray and then don't pray. 
Okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna pray, I want you to say I'm gonna pray and then pray. But if you think you're not gonna pray, then just don't say you're gonna pray. So, right now I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna pray for my brothers as they get ready to go into a foreign country to preach the gospel to people who've never heard it, to give the Bibles to people who have never seen a Bible, to give Bible tracts, tell people about God. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord. I pray for my brothers, Micah and Jacob. I thank you that you've spared their lives and and given them to me, and they've been awesome brothers. And Lord, you know how much they love you. You know how they serve you. They read their Bible, and they they trust you, and they trust your word. They submit themselves to your word. Lord, I just pray that you guide them, that you give them enough money to be able to financially afford going to a foreign country and telling people about you. Lord, I pray that you protect them and that you give them opportunities to give Bibles to people and that even if something happens, that you would give them opportunities to tell the cops about you, God. Lord, I just pray that everyone here is willing to pray for my brothers and say, God, keep them safe. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.